feel so blessed and privileged to be with all of you again. And I want to start by saying I'm so constantly amazed at how wonderful this church is. You have such a wonderful staff and family and community and pastors, and you guys are so young, and God continues to bless you. So thank you for uh, inviting me to be here. Last week, Pastor Ben preached so beautifully on this continuing series we have on Colossians on how Jesus is all we need, that Jesus plus nothing is everything. And today we're going to continue our series on Colossians and see how Jesus also creates us for diversity and also gives us the tools to fight injustice and to fight racism and to end justice, injustice and racism how he gives us the tools to do that. But first, I'll tell you a little bit more about, more about myself uh, beyond that interview. Uh, I have been a TV journalist for NBC for nearly 25 years now. I arrived during the O.J. Simpson trial, and since then, I've pretty much interviewed every black leader in Los Angeles, including the Reverend Cecil Murray and Danny Bakewell and Yvonne Brathwaite-Burke and Jackie Lacey and Maxine Waters and Earl Fari Hutchinson and Mark Ridley Thomas and Herb Wesson. I've interviewed black leaders, uh, black police chiefs and uh, firefighters and entrepreneurs and business people and doctors and lawyers and gang intervention leaders, as well as just moms and dads and, and kids. I've done stories on economic redevelopment and homelessness and food insecurity, all of which have given me a portrait of the black experience in Los Angeles and in Southern California. I've also interviewed way too many black families in Southern California who have lost loved ones to violence, including some killed by police, and I prayed with some of them. So it's been with a heavy heart that I've covered these recent protests, but I also have great hope. I have great, be great hope because at this very moment, our black brothers and sisters all across Southern California are worshiping the very same Jesus that we are. And if you ever have had the privilege of attending a black church like I have many times, you will see they are places of incredible joy. Incredible joy despite 400 years of slavery and racism and oppression. Incredible joy because they know Jesus is their king. They know Jesus is their savior. They know Jesus is their liberator who has and is and will take them to the promised land of freedom and justice, just as he will all of us. And this passage we're gonna look at today shows us how he gives us the tools to get there together, to fight racism and injustice together, to bring heaven to earth together as one body of Christ. So let's look at our passage today. Good morning. Today we'll be reading from the letters of Paul to the Colossians, chapter three from one, to 14. Mystical death and resurrection. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not what is on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Renunciation of vice. Put to death then the parts of you that are earthly, 
immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the greed that is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming upon the disobedient. By these you two once conducted yourselves when you lived in that way. But now you must put them all away. Anger, fury, malice, slander, and obscene language out of your mouths. Stop lying to one another since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put the new self which is being renewed for knowledge in the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If one has a grievance against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also do the same. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this truth. We ask this morning that you open our eyes and enlighten our hearts and let this truth penetrate so that together as the body of Christ, we can bring heaven on earth. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Paul is laying out the three tools in this passage that we need to achieve diversity and to fight and end racism and injustice. Those three tools are remembering our identity in Christ, putting to death our old identity, and living into our new identity. Now, you might be saying to yourself right now, well, I've heard these things before, and here we are. We still have such a long way to go. And as Martin Luther King said so famously, Sundays are still the most segregated day in America. And that tells us that we need to look at God's word and this passage with fresh eyes and see what we might be missing and see what our blind spots might be. So let's look at tool number one, embracing and remembering our identity in Christ. I was with my four-year-old goddaughter the other day, Riley. I introduced you to her the last time I spoke here. She is just one of the lights of my life. And she announced to me that she had to go potty. And I said, great, but don't forget to wash your hands because you're a big girl now. So she said, okay, and she promptly raced and went potty and raced straight out of the bathroom. And I had to remind her, Riley, wash your hands because you're a big girl now. One of my favorite preachers, uh, Alistair Begg of um, Parkside Church in Cleveland says that most of being a pastor is reminding people, reminding people of who their identity is in Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding these new believers at at this new church in Colossae who they are in Christ, that they are holy and beloved and they are chosen people of God. And he's reminding all of us that as well. And he does so throughout the New Testament because he knows we need constant reminders of who we are in Christ because our mindset matters. 
That's why verse two says, set your mind on things above. Set your minds on heaven. That isn't some abstract ethereal concept. These are real things. Because Revelation 21 tells us that heaven is a place of justice and diversity because there's no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, and there are people of different nations and nationalities represented. And we, as Christians, are to live as if we've already died and gone to heaven and come back. We are to live as citizens of heaven. We are to live as citizens of justice and diversity. What does that look like? It means... We fight injustice wherever we see it. We fight racism wherever we see it. It means we welcome diversity in, its, in all its shapes and sizes and colors and cultures when we see it. It means we balance things whenever we see imbalance that leads to disadvantaging people of color. It means we look for both overt and hidden racism in systems and structures because where we come from, everyone is equal. Where we come from, as it says in verse 11, Christ is in all and is all. Paul in Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this passage is saying the same thing. Verse 3 says, I have died with Christ. Verse 1 says, I have raised, I am raised again with Christ. We are in Christ. That is our new identity and we need to remind ourselves of that every day because every day our old identity is competing for our attention and our old identity is trying to take us down. So let's look at our tool number two, which is putting to death our old identity. Verse five says, put to death our earthly nature, which includes sexual immorality, evil desires, anger, rage, malice, and slander. When Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the wall at Wittenberg and thus began the Protestant Reformation, the first thesis was, all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. Think about that. Tim Keller says, most Christians think of repentance as something we do when we've done something really bad or when uh, we're backsliding. But the Bible teaches us that repentance is actually a daily thing and repentance is deeper than that. Luke chapter seven tells us the story of Simon the Pharisee who got really upset at Jesus because Jesus was letting this woman with a bad reputation kiss his feet and wipe her tears off his feet with her hair. And Simon was thinking to himself, if Jesus only knew how sinful this woman is, he wouldn't be letting this woman touch her. And Jesus responds with a story. He tells the story of a money lender who forgave the debts of two men, one who owed the lender five denarii and the other who owed the lender 500 denarii. And he asked Simon, which man do you think loves the lender more? And Simon correctly answered, the man with a bigger debt. The point of the story being, when we realize the incredible and huge debt that we owe to Jesus, which he forgave, we can't help but experience the tearful joy that this woman experienced. When I think about everything that Jesus has done for me and how he turned my life around, I can't help but get emotional. And it makes me 
not want to do anything or say anything or think anything that would grieve him. And when I do, it makes me want to repent, which means I'm repenting daily. Because if I don't, if I try to justify or defend my sin in any way, not only am I rejecting what Jesus did for me, I am putting my righteousness above his, which is the very definition of self-righteousness. And Paul is saying in this passage, that leads to anger and malice and slander and rage. Which is why we need to do regular heart checks. Which is why we need to ask ourselves if we're doing or saying or thinking anything that is not of God. Not just when we think we've done something wrong, but even when, and perhaps especially when, when we're convinced we're absolutely right because we may have blind spots. When someone says, Black Lives Matter and defund the police, are they legitimately fighting racism and injustice and calling for police reform? Or have they gotten so angry in their hearts that they believe all police or virtually all police are bad and evil? When someone says all lives matter and are upset that they don't think protesters are valuing the lives of police officers, are they truly mourning the loss of all lives? Or is there somewhere deep in their heart where they value some lives more than others? When someone says, I don't endorse the looting and the rioting, but I'm not going to judge how people express themselves, are they empathizing with their pain? Or are they also minimizing the pain of store owners? And forgetting that Jesus explicitly endorsed nonviolence and Martin Luther King lived that out to one of the greatest social movements and changes in America's history. When someone says and condemns the rioters and the looters, are they legitimately saying you shouldn't break the law? Or are they dismissing them and minimizing their humanity? and judging them for behavior rooted in hundreds of years of oppression and poverty and forgetting that Jesus died for their sins as well as ours. Jesus clearly spoke out against racism. Jesus Jesus clearly spoke out against injustice and he clearly spoke out against violence. But when we speak out, when we thunder our opinions on social media and in front of other people, we always risk of putting our righteousness above his because we all have blind spots unlike him. Which is why we need to do those heart checks and make sure we're putting away the impure and the idolatrous and putting away our old identity and putting on our new identity and living into our new identity and clothing ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, humility, and most of all, love.
most of all love. That is our third tool. How do we live into this new identity and put on love? Gonna look at a new verse, John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So when Jesus says to love one another, he's not talking about a warm and fuzzy feeling. He's talking about action. That's why it's amazing to see vintage Pasadena do mission right now with your mission partner stars. You are living it out. You're treating love as an action. But Jesus went even further than that. He didn't just say love one another. He said, love one another as I have loved you. So we are to love one another as Jesus loved us. So he just set the bar even higher. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? Well, he loved Matthew, the tax collector, who everyone else hated. He loved Nathaniel, who insulted Jesus and his hometown by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? So we are to love people that hate us or that everyone else hates and we are to love people who insult us. Can we begin to see why the early church was so popular, why people from different backgrounds and races and ethnicities rushed to the early church because these early believers lived those values out and that's why it was so appealing. But can we also see the challenge we face today? How can we love people that hate us when we're having such a difficult time and not doing a terribly good job of loving people who are different from us? And how can we love people who are different from us when we exist so far apart from them? The city, and when I say the city, I mean greater Los Angeles, so I'm including Pasadena and all the neighboring cities, is largely still a segregated one. When blacks first moved to Los Angeles, there were racially restrictive covenants, so they couldn't move into certain neighborhoods. And some of those covenants still exist on deeds today, even though we're told to ignore them. There are still private, there, were, there are private institutions that didn't admit blacks until the 1980s. And yes, all of that discrimination is outlawed now, but the legacy of it, the fruit of it, still exists today. All you have to do is drive south on the 110 and watch as the population gets browner and blacker and poorer. Then go north on the 110 and go west on the 10 and go all the way to PCH and go north and watch as it gets wider and richer. I'm not saying these things to make us all feel guilty. I'm not saying that everyone should pick up right now and move to South LA. What I am saying is that if we continue to exist far apart in virtually every aspect of our lives, we'll never be able to answer Jesus' call to love one another as he loved us. We'll never be able to, to begin the healing and restoration we so badly need right now. But there is hope. And you see hope in these protests because what you see in these protests are people of different ages 
and incomes and backgrounds and ethnicities and regions marching together side by side. It's what Brian Stevenson calls proximity. If you've never heard of Brian Stevenson, he is a committed Christian. He spoke at Vintage a couple years ago via video. He is the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, he's been fighting his entire career for equal justice and the incarcerated and the marginalized. He was just the subject of a recent movie, Just Mercy, with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. And he said this. He said, if you are willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. If you are willing to get closer to people who are suffering, you will find the power to change the world. Our black brothers and sisters tell us they are suffering. They're not saying their lives matter more. They're saying that after being chained to ships and being slaves on plantations, and after Jim Crow laws and black and white water fountains, that even though in many respects things have gotten a lot better, their core, their collective experience tells them and makes them feel like their lives still matter less. And they're reaching out to us in proximity and partnership and saying, Let's end all this together. Let's fight racism and injustice together. Let's bring heaven on earth together as one body of Christ. So what does that look like? It could mean marching in a peaceful protest. It could mean partnering with majority black churches. It could mean looking at our company's diversity policies and seeing where the gaps are, seeing where the blind spots are so that everyone can have equal opportunity. It could mean experiencing a culture different from yours, and experiencing black culture. This morning I went to Little Red Hen Cafe on Fair Oaks, I think it's Altadena or Pasadena, had some uh, shrimp and grits and it was fantastic. Go to Lamar Park and experience black culture. There's a cafe called Hot and Cool Cafe and if you're a vegan, it has the best vegan bowl I've ever had. Swift Cafe on Crenshaw Boulevard, best chicken you'll ever have. No one, got closer to, uh, no one got closer to suffering than Jesus. No one suffered more than Jesus. And no one changed the world more than Jesus. And he has given us the tools to do it too. Let's do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for opening our eyes and enlightening our hearts to the injustice we see around us. For seeing the things that break your heart and for giving us the tools to put an end to it and to bring heaven on earth as one family of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.